Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to the Parasile Podcast on a Thursday. It's a unique show for multiple reasons. First off, I'm going to be your host today, Keely Or Ryan is out on vacation this week. We have Dan Weber on the line going to talk about the big news that came out of the college football world this week. The Pac-12 and Big Ten deciding to cancel the fall season. So we'll get into that and everything that came out of this week. If you have any questions or comments for the show, drop us an email at podcast at uscfootball.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 424-254-9141. Dan, like I said, a lot of news to come out of this week. It's you and I today. It's kind of like an incident analysis. We haven't had one of those since March, believe it or not. So uh, we'll probably have a mini version of that in this podcast. But First off, I guess, how are you doing and, and how have you been processing this news now that we've had a couple of days removed from the Pac-12's decision? Yeah, there's not much uh, of anything that's happening that uh, would require a, an instant analysis or <laughs> uh, anything in, instantly. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a little disappointed, as a lot of people were, I think, with the Pac-12 in that if... Uh, if you were going to say you're really having trouble coming up with testing, enough testing, a quick enough testing and all that. Uh, I think that's been kind of an issue for a couple of months. And I think, you know, you wish to see more, you know, progress on that in that area from a, a conference like the PAC 12, where you have some of the great medical centers in the world, uh, you know, in Los Angeles and in Seattle, and, and places like that and, 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 and the Bay Area and, you know, Stanford and UCLA and, and USC and University of Washington, you know, really top-notch medical schools and hospitals. So you would have liked to have seen them get a little farther down the road in two months to be able to test as much as you, you need to and get it back as quickly as possible. Uh, the myocarditis thing that came through the uh, Big Ten uh, – I mean, I don't know that that's a big surprise because uh, athletes like you see playing college football, big, strong, especially you look at the offensive linemen uh, with their body types and all that and the kind of exertion that you're asking them that, you know, inflammation of the heart probably isn't that, that you know, terribly unusual. I guess the question is if you get COVID-19 and then you get uh, an inflammation of the heart, is that something that's transient, you know, that COVID goes away and that inflammation goes away? Or is that something that stays with you, uh, you know, for much of the rest of your life? And unfortunately, there's not enough time to be doing that research. I mean, you can't possibly know that right now. So you've got, the, you know, the Big Ten making the call essentially based on, on the myocarditis thing. And then the Pac-12 following uh, following along, and you've got the ACC and the SEC, and uh, and the Big 12 in the middle, kind of saying, well, maybe not, you know, yet we're not sure enough. And it's obvious nobody's sure of anything right now. So uh, you're going to be making a decision in the dark uh, to some extent. 
my thought has always been, if you're still having to social distance, if that's the, you know, that's what everybody in the state is supposed to social distance, I'm really not sure how you play football. I mean, I think, you know, golf can, you can, you know, have the golf tournaments when basically there are no spectators, nobody comes in contact with one another. Uh, tennis, you know, can do some of the same, not, not quite as easily as golf. But then, you know, you get to the other team sports and basically they're having to play in bubbles. Well, you know, you might be able to, you know, sequester 800 NBA players uh, in one, you know, complex, but you obviously can't do that for any kind of football. So, um, so I was never clear how they expected to be able to play in an era where you were still expected to socially distance uh, from one another. I just, you know, you had to get past socially distancing and, and we haven't. And, um, here we are. I mean, I, I think people were trying to come up with a reason to go one way or the other. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the other three conferences. I think the issue right now is three of the five are still playing two of the five aren't. If the third goes, if the Big 12 goes, or you know, whatever, it'll make it tougher. It'll be very difficult, I would think, for the SEC and the Big or in the ACC to go it alone. If the majority of the Power Five uh, are now not playing football this season, so you know, I'm sure there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on, and you know, I don't know how you make the decision for sure to play. I think the only legitimate decision right now would have been to say we're going to back this off for three or four weeks and and see you know let's say the rate of infection goes down or whatever and we're, we're able to bring or we bring in kids back to you know to school i think you can bring kids back to school as far as i'm concerned but that's not how a lot of the governors are playing it so uh or the you know the teachers and, and what have you so that i think it's hard to play it if you're the governor of California and you say, I don't think kids should be going back to school, but, oh, yeah, USC, UCLA, and Cal, and, and Stanford, you can go out and play football. Uh, that would be a hard, you know, you might be able to exempt the NFL teams. I'm not sure you can exempt the college teams um, unless the colleges said, hey, we're going to put our guys in a bubble. Maybe you could. I don't know. If you're going to lose $60 million if you don't play, putting them in a bubble wouldn't cost $60 million. So I don't know if you ever, you know, you got down to that and then people would really be critical of the colleges saying they're only doing it for the dollar. So not an easy thing to work yourself through. And as we know, obviously, when, you know, half the people are coming up with one decision, half are coming up with the other. We know. Uh, we really don't know. Yeah. And it seems like, the biggest factor and the biggest decision was based on myocarditis, the, the heart issue. And it seems like each conference is is interpreting the data, I think, differently. And we had a press conference with uh, USC on Wednesday to kind of have the, the Trojans perspective of, of what went down on Tuesday. And one of the, the panelists was USC's team doctor, Dr. Seth uh, Gamrat who is also on the Pac-12 Medical Advisory Board, and he basically said, I hope that we're, we're overblowing this, this heart issue. He was like, I hope we're wrong, but he was very 
interested to see how other conferences are interpreting the data because to them it was a no-brainer that when you don't know what's going to happen with people's hearts long term you don't know the long-term effects why not use that uncertainty as a reason to cancel or pause rather than use that uncertainty as as a way to continue going and i thought it was interesting usc actually has a cardiology clearance uh, when their players test positive for COVID-19 and uh, the USC's team doctor said that no uh, USC player has, so far has been diagnosed with myocarditis. So that's at least good news. But Dan, what are you taking away from how each conference is having their own stance on myocarditis? Well, yeah, I mean, for example, apparently nobody in the Pac-12 has been diagnosed with that. Uh, I think the only five, five cases, the original five, were Big Ten related. So I don't know that we've heard from any of the other conferences so so again you know you're you're going on the data but it's not your data and uh, it's not your you know players and it hasn't shown up here uh where the pac-12 seems to have been doing an awfully good job of uh testing and keeping uh you know, people infection free so um kind of hate to see all that go- i mean they did a lot of good work in the pac-12 i don't think there's they went at it very seriously they didn't want to put anybody at risk, uh, and maybe they, you know, figured out a way to to really get it done. As difficult as it is to play uh, football in a socially distancing world, but uh, you know, it shows the uh, the problem of college football. There's no commissioner. There's nobody. You know, the, loosely, I guess you could say the people that run the college football playoffs are. You know, that's the one place where all these uh, conferences intersect where you can have some, uh, you know, control connection, because if, you know, if you're a football bowl subdivision, uh, you know, program, you want one of the 130 or so you, that's your goal. Uh, so they've got a little control, but the NCA doesn't have that kind of, and probably you wouldn't want them to from all the reaction we're getting from, uh, people about, how reluctant the NCA has been to almost even get involved in in this. That's, so people are kind of on their own. I mean, they. Uh, I think the Big Ten went first when they decided conference only. I think some of the other conferences were not very happy because they don't think they were informed about what was going to happen because it was going to cost the Big Ten some really big game, or the Big Ten was going to cost some Pac-12 teams, for example, some really big games, or Notre Dame. And so I think there was some, uh, you know, not there were people not very pleased about how the Big Ten went about it going first. And one of the problems for the Big Ten right now is Commissioner Warren. This is his first year. He's taking over from Jim Delaney, by far, you know, the best college uh, commissioner that we've seen who just retired. And so this is putting uh, the Big Ten commissioner under a lot of pressure. And uh this would be a tough one to start out with, but uh, there have been some negative uh, stuff about the Big Ten kind of going first and and not involving any. I mean, I think they would have liked to have had others go with them as far as uh, canceling the season, but other than Pac-12, they, they didn't get anybody. So now college football is kind of staring at one another, and we'll see where that goes. I mean – in that sense, where do you see this going next? I mean, could there be three conferences playing and two conferences not playing? Is that even an option? And and how does that look for both Larry Scott and Kevin Warren? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that's a really big question because there are people who con- are convinced that th- there won't be a, a spring season, no matter what they're saying, there won't be. Uh, man, I mean, that's hard to imagine, for example, with the TV income that's riding on it for the SEC and the Big Ten to go an entire calendar year without without football. But there are no guarantees that you're going to be able to work everything out uh, for a spring season. So that's a – I wouldn't be – I don't have that big a problem. I'm not as opposed to it as, you know, you see people like uh, uh, Urban Meyer who just absolutely – doesn't want to see it, doesn't want to hear about it, doesn't think the players are going to be able to hold up, you know, playing uh, two full seasons in a calendar year. Uh, and he's probably not wrong. But so, uh, you know, playing in the, in the fall presents an unbelievable amount of challenges and then playing in the spring does as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm more of a, a spring person just because I, I just think there are, so many things that have to be worked out to go ahead in terms of when do you do the testing and and how many players, if they test positive, will allow you to not have to play a game that week, for example. And the uncertainty of having to wait until sometime during the week when the testing occurs, when you find out how many guys test positive, and then the game you thought was going to be played Saturday won't be played Saturday. All of that, you know, happening week after week after week. I mean, it's been six months of uncertainty. And then you'd be taking the uncertainty down to day by day, week by week. And I'm not sure that's the way to run a railroad. Uh, not knowing where people would say, well, that's going to be a big, big game, uh, high state Michigan Saturday. Well, if they play it, uh, how does that work? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how any of this works, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, that was something that Mike Bone had actually stressed in Wednesday's press conference is that like the bright side of the pac decision was that it gave something that we haven't really had in 2020, which was some sense of certainty, knowing that uh, at the very least competition will be pushed back to January 1st. So people could kind of give get a sense of, of what the next couple of months look like. But I think from USC's perspective, they are in favor of spring because, one, they hope that L.A. County will not be as much of a hotspot as it is right now. And thus, county guidelines will be much uh, less strict at that point. And also, they have the the belief that they can step up testing to where you can control the virus much easier and you can control the spread at least much easier. Um, Because that's something that if a center tests positive right now, basically the whole offensive line has to quarantine. Whereas if you can limit the spread easier, uh, I don't think that it would be much easier to play in spring. So I think from USC's perspective, they are very positive on, even though it's going to be two seasons in one calendar year, they seem pretty positive about spring 2021. Yeah. I mean, that would be great if, if you, I mean, one of the problems is when it's fairly widespread in the area, contact tracing doesn't do much good. Uh, you got too many people to trace too many, you know, contacts. I mean, and one of the, you know, the discouraging things is, you know, California has been a leader, I think, in terms of, you know, preaching, uh, you know, wear a mask, social distance. have been, you know, a lot stronger uh, in, in terms of those, uh, you know, directives from the government. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have made 
a great impact. And as much as people hear, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, and if you do this or do that, we'll be fine. And that hasn't exactly played out. So, you know, you could see people saying, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I mean, another thing that plays out uh, with 2021 season as opposed to playing this fall is maybe you get a chance to have fans in the stands. I mean, I think college football without fans in the stands would be a disaster. I mean, uh, the golf, I don't know, you can watch, you can look at the course and look at the trees and, you know, the shots either good or bad. There's no reaction maybe, but uh, college football without fans, I don't don't think it works. I don't think it works at all. Yeah. And I know you can put up those phony crowd noises, but... um, (laughs) you know, and the cardboard cutouts and all that. I think if, if you got college football a full schedule in the spring with fans in the stands, that's a price worth paying than to be playing it in the fall without any fans. I guess some of the NFL teams now are notifying people that they won't have fans in the stands for their, their first games. So I just don't see that as a good way for college football to go. I mean, somebody mentioned uh, – how bad would it be to go to a USC game and not hear the band? I mean, just all of those sounds that accompany USC football, and they wouldn't be there. You know, maybe, you know, they'd let you pipe them in or whatever, but uh, they wouldn't let you do that on the road. So, uh, Well, from a revenue so I, perspective, yeah. sorry, Dan, from a revenue perspective, it wouldn't be a disaster to cancel fall if you can have – fans in the stands in spring. That's a right. much better version than having a season with no fans. The revenue is not just not there. And that's the, the thing they'll be critical of when, you know, the people are negotiating for a players association and all of that. Uh, when they're saying, well, you're only doing it for the money. Well, you can say, well, if we don't get the money, we don't play the other 19 sports at USC because the first two aren't bringing in any money. Uh, and so you're doing it for more than money. You're doing it to have 21 uh, sports teams able to go and play. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't like that argument, but you'll hear it for sure if if people say, oh, they're waiting just to get fans and get some money. As far as the potential problem, though, with the problems that might come with a 2021 spring season, I know that the NCAA is supposed to weigh in on eligibility issues, I believe, next Friday. But what do you foresee happening with players like uh, Anelma Ross St. Brown, who NFL is definitely in his sights? Do you, how do you expect players to not only make that decision, but also the incoming early enrollees? How do you have a roster that big? You know, how, how do you see these problems playing out? I, 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 uh, without any idea how that'll work. Yep. I, mean, I think you're going to need the NFL to say, we're going to hold to our uh, draft day and we're going to hold to the uh, – uh, combine. That seems crazy if they would do that, but if they did that, they'd put a lot of pressure on a lot of kids. Uh, if they back it off and say, you know, we won't necessarily have have the combine if you're playing, you know, spring football, and we'll really be able to evaluate you in the spring. Now, maybe they. It would be interesting to know what the NBA or NFL really thinks. Do they get more out of the combine, or do they get more out of watching kids play games? the way they decide that might tell you how they're going to be in terms of moving, uh, moving those two dates uh, in the spring. 
I, I don't I don't know for sure. I mean, the NFL doesn't always tell you how big a deal they think the combine is. Uh, are they going to get more out of a kid in the combine? If they think they are, they may not back it off. If they don't back it off, uh, it might be hard to get some kids to play. Um, so, so, so I really don't know. I don't think we know. Uh, I don't think we know what the NCAA is going to do. I mean, a question I've got is if you play at USC and you want to go play in the fall, could you transfer be immediately eligible if they do play in the other three conferences and they've got a scholarship or two available? Could Jay Tufelli say, hey, they want to see a little more film on me, but I, my uh, people tell me that I, I might be a first-rounder, but they'd like to see some more film. Maybe if I uh, you know, gave Alabama a call and they had a scholarship available, could I go there? I don't know. I mean – who knows? That's going to be really interesting. And I think um, in USC's pressure, they were saying that they're hoping that the NCAA will give some guidance as far as transfers and that hopefully that won't be an issue. Um, but I remember on the, the Pac-12 conference call on Tuesday, one of the panelists basically said, hey, we think at the Pac-12 we made the best decision and we have the ba- best safety protocol. So if, if other conferences want to uh, poach our players, have at it. <laughs> so it was kind of a, an interesting comment from the Pac-12 in that sense because, I mean, we could see if the NCAA doesn't give any guidance, which, I mean, not something you want to really rest on or put your hopes in, we could see like a, a transfer palooza of sorts of a lot of players hitting the, the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that how many schools have open scholarships right now, uh, how that would work. And, you know, these are schools that are already practicing uh, for the fall. So, uh, but if you got a chance to poach, I mean, I think there are a lot of schools in America, if you got a chance to get Jay Tufeli come finish up, you know, at your school, you'd be pretty happy about that. So, and it might, you know, some guys... Uh, would rather play the fall and then go to the combine. And if that's what people are telling you, you know, guys might, you know, start looking for where they can do that. Like a Daniel Monter baby. You know, he was looking around, decided to go with his brother to Illinois. And then, you know, they take the season away. So could Daniel transfer again, graduate transfer? I don't know what the limitations are. What if Florida called him up and said, hey, you started here. You want to finish here? Wow. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, there are so many questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of yeah. questions and not a lot of answers at this point, yeah. for sure. As, as we're accustomed for this whole year, there's been a mm-hmm. whole lot of yep. – I know this, Kelly. If you start a sentence with the word hopefully, <laughs> you know, that's uh, – we've had USC coaches – who would come out of practice and start their post-game press conference with a word like hopefully. And uh, that's usually not a good sign. Yeah, you've never been too keen on the word hopefully prior to 2020, but especially now, these days. Yeah, I know. Yeah, hope is not, as I say, hope's not a plan. And you, you kind of need a plan, but there's not enough information exactly to have a plan either. I mean, this is, this is really a tough place to be. Yep. For sure. And I think it's definitely not simple. And, and that's something that we can't forget in all this. But any no. any thoughts, Dan, final thoughts at the top of the show before we get into some questions here? Uh, no, just 
you know, stay tuned. Uh, we've said that a lot. Stay tuned. And some, uh, very often it was USC is like, you know, if you want news, just pay attention. <laughs> USC will have some for you. Now the whole world has become USC. The whole world of college football is now USC, where everybody's trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Yeah. It's hard to – one of the problems is it's hard to say, okay, here's the data. If I'm, you know, working just on the data, here's what's going to happen. Well, we don't have the data. They don't have the data. Nobody's got the data. So now you're you're kind of guessing as to – what is going to influence people to come down with a decision one way or the other? I mean, it's just, you know, flip a coin. What what impacts the college presidents, let's say, the most or the conferences the most? I don't know. I mean, if the SEC realizes, you know, we could go through and win a, sort of a championship, but it won't exactly be worth anything, do they like, eh, maybe we should play when everybody else is playing? It'll mean something. Yep. We shall see. But uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and answer your questions. All right. We're back with Dan Weber here to answer your questions. First off, Dan, we have a voicemail from Rick from Vista, but I'm paraphrasing his voicemail. You know how Ryan's a stickler for short voicemails and I'm continuing that trend today. Basically, he wanted to know, just based on liability issues, how can uh, the three other conferences right now continue on, uh, given that two other conferences said no based on health issues? And then he mentioned how um, uh, there could be long-term heart or lung issues, and that seems like a a prime reason for players and their parents to sue. Well, I mean, I think you could defend that by saying, look, there is no peer-reviewed studies there are no long-term studies. There are no, there's no data for us to analyze that uh, would require us to shut down the whole season. That's a monumental decision. And if we don't have any kind of really hard data and, and we don't have any of our players uh, that are showing up with myocarditis, that might be a harder one to go to court to win, especially, you know, you're going to go sue Alabama and Nick Saban in Alabama. Um, I'm not liking that your chances all that much. Uh, I don't know if you could get to a federal court uh, for something like that, but I think they've made it clear. You don't have to play and you keep your scholarship. So that might also uh, get them off the hook and say, we didn't make anybody play. And we told them that there are some places where people are showing up with myocarditis. You don't have it. We haven't had anybody in our conference show up with it. But I think I'm not a lawyer, but I think you'd have a chance of defending that in court. Um, because let's face it, there are a whole lot of bad things that can happen to you playing college football. And there aren't many uh, really big lawsuits that people win. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning because people will probably ask, the NCAA, both NCAA and Congress said that colleges and universities can't have players sign a liability waiver. Um, so that's out of the question as well. Right. Cannot do that. So, so I mean, I wouldn't want to come down real strongly on either side of that case, but I, I think you, based on what we know now, you might have a better chance of defending it than winning it. I just, that would be my 
That would be my guess right now. But again, we don't know. Will the myocarditis be long, long lasting? Will it be, you know, limiting your entire life and all that? Well, that would be, you know, that would be a hard case to defend against because, um, you know, kids can say, look, we, you know, there wasn't all the definitive data and all the studies, but they could have waited till they had the definitive data or the studies and they didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you can make the case either way, I think, at this point. Yeah. We have an email from Jack from New Jersey who says, Ryan and Dan, bummer that there will not be football this fall. Worse, though, is now Keeley gets to say, I told you so. I believe the MLB and NBA experience probably played a role in this decision, which right now does not appear to be the correct decision, in Jack's opinion. What are your thoughts, Dan? Well, I mean, I think without a doubt, and there are people in the NBA who say, see, you can do it. Well, yeah, if you spend like a million dollars a day and you, for example, I saw the other day, the teams that lose in the, when they get to the playoffs, okay, if you lose, they put you on a bus, no shower, right to your hotel. You can get a shower there. You're back in the bus, and you're going to the airport. You're out of there. They're not messing around with you. You're not hanging around the hotel. You're not getting a meal. You get out of town. You can't do that in college football. I mean, they have a there's a control in the uh, bubble environments that, that you're never going to even remotely approach in college football. Look at what's happened in Major League Baseball. Those guys are going from town to town. They're supposed to be sort of quarantined except when they go to bars, parties, or the golf courses. And look what's happening, you know? Because, again, if they'd have chosen, maybe we'll put them all in one town and we'll play all the games in one or two ballparks. Um, Maybe they could have tried to do that, but you put everybody in Los Angeles and play only at Dodger Stadium and Angels Stadium. Um, so Keeley could go uh, <laughs> watch him come and go. Uh, they maybe would have had a chance, but you're talking much bigger rosters in baseball and traveling parties than you are in basketball. So uh, there, there are a lot less very a lot fewer variables in basketball, or uh, even the soccer is playing down there in the women's uh, NBA, and they're all you know bubbling them uh i think you you can't bubble in college football therefore i mean i think the big factor that's going to hit with college football what happens when the teams that are trying to uh, have a season what happens when all the students get back on campus how does that change i think uh, i I read or heard that notre dame uh, had been doing so really really well in terms of positive tests until uh, students got back on campus this week and then things have changed. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a really hard environment to uh, keep your kids uh, infection free once the full student body gets to. I think that was one of the advantages USC had. The full student body or almost any of the student body wasn't getting, wasn't get, getting there. So I think USC had a fighting chance. But schools that are bringing, you know, kids back on campus, I think that's a really tough battle. Yeah. Well, one of the rebuttals that I kept seeing, Dan, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Some people had said, well, if you had just made all campuses online only where you have you, 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 there's no responsibility to, for where the, the students actually are. 
how can a bubble be wrong if they're on they're taking classes online anyway? Does that make sense? What what, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, you could have done it. In effect, that's what USC was doing, uh, and so they were kind of in a bubble. And, but you don't want to look like okay, we're going to make sure we can handle the football team or, or other athletes, but the rest of you students, uh, you know, take a hike. I don't think they wanted to be uh, perceived as doing that, mm-hmm. which is what they kind of would have been doing. I wouldn't have had as much of a problem with that. I mean, I think you know you treat all different kinds of students differently. If uh, you know there are kids who go abroad for you know a semester abroad, you have musicians or whatever that go you know play with orchestras, uh, and everybody does you know, different. You know, has a different path uh, through college. College football players, I would have had no problem justifying uh, treating them differently because of what they do. But I do think it's hard for some of the academics to uh, to to go along with that. Mm-hmm. Stephen Poway sent us an email, but he's not as optimistic as spring 2021 as some of us are. He says, "Dear Dan, Ryan, and Keeley, I'm going to call it." Not only will, will there be no college football season this fall, there won't be one in spring 2021 either, unless a vaccine is approved by early October, which is very unlikely. This year is gone. Let's start thinking about fall 2021, which will happen. Let's celebrate the players like Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vons and others who have likely played their last down at USC. The sooner we do this, the sooner we can all uh, get our minds in the right place, which is thinking about fall, 21, t- fall 2021 USC football. Steve in Poway. Yeah, I think that's a very defensible point of view. Uh, I think there are a lot of things that have to be worked out uh, for the whole, you know, spring football. Uh, but the um, the fact that you really need to figure out a way to uh, pay for all those all those twenty one sports and without football, I mean, you know, schools are already hurting. I, I hear the freshman enrollment nationally is way down where kids are basically saying, you know, I think I'll wait and see what happens here. Uh, the colleges are going to be, uh, you know, struggling financially a little bit. Therefore, uh, if there's a way to address that and it's safe and uh, it involves the whole community and gets everybody feeling good again, I certainly think they'll try. But I think you could certainly make the case that Steve does that, that might not be enough, that there may be enough issues. I mean, when would you start the 2021 fall season if you're playing um, in the spring? And let's say USC and the West Coast <clears throat> probably said, hey, we can start in January. It's beautiful playing football in Rose Bowl in January. And Ohio State and Michigan say, no way, we're not playing in January. We can't even play in February. I think there are only three domes in the Big Ten, uh, Minnesota, uh, Indianapolis and Detroit. So and I know people at the Big Ten have said, well, we can play double headers there. Or we can do, I mean, just getting, say, the Pac 12 and the Big Ten to agree on when would the, ske- when would the schedule be if you're going to play spring? Or would Pac 12 say, here's when we're going to play? And the Big Ten says, well, we can't play then. We'll play now, uh, you know, these days. Uh, would you set up bowl games between the first six or seven? Uh, teams in the Big Twelve, or Big excuse me, Big Ten and Pac Twelve. I mean, that would make a lot of sense uh, if you don't have a college football playoffs. But uh, I think a lot, a lot to be worked out. A whole lot to be worked out, and we don't, 
have any of those answers. Yeah. Say, hypothetically, in the next couple weeks, all Power 5 conferences decide to cancel the fall season. Do you think that just given the lack of organization and unity and just how much of a mess this these past couple months were would make though the powers that be in college football realize that they need some type of joint leadership committee or something like do you do you foresee any type of <laughs> unity or organization coming out of this as a learned lesson or or is college football just that inflexible well i mean they're they're competitive as heck you yeah. know and the big just getting the Big 12 and the SEC to agree on, on something. And I think one of the hardest things to do would be to come up, let's say, with a commissioner of sorts. And the college football playoffs is uh, uh, one of the nicest human beings in all of sports at all levels ever in Bill Hancock. But he's not kind of the guy you would say, oh, he's the czar of college football. He's, they like him doing what he's doing because he's not the czar of college football. They absolutely don't let the NCAA get involved in all. That's why you know, the NCAA has never been involved in the playoffs. They don't want them with their hands on the playoffs. They don't want them touching the money or anything else. They didn't ever want them involved in the bowls uh, very much. So college football has tended not to go in any direction of a central kind of authority. Uh, would this be enough to convince them, man, Maybe you need somebody uh, in charge here. I don't know. Would you be able to get, say, a retired guy from the, uh, you know, like a, a, a Jim Delaney who everybody respects or would the SEC say he's still a Big Ten guy? I mean, a guy I've always really respected and liked uh, was uh, Dave Baker, Sam Baker's dad, who was the uh, mayor of Irvine when he took over the Anaheim team. And he did such a great job in the uh, Arena Football League that they immediately asked him to be the commissioner of the league. And he did this wonderful job of getting them television contracts and bringing everybody together. And uh, then he went to take the job. He's the director of the uh, uh, NFL Hall of Fame. But he has the kind of skill sets that you would – I mean, he's just outgoing and 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 – a guy that thinks outside the box and that kind of a guy. Now, unfortunately, he should have been the commissioner of the Pac-12. Uh, but, of course, since he was so tied in uh, with USC because of his son, uh, that made it uh, a no-go in the Pac-12. He'd have done immensely well for the Pac-12. And he would be, for example, a guy who could do uh, a great job for marketing uh, college football and bringing it all together and, and what I, you know, big imposing, you know, six, eight and God knows 350 or something. This looks like the super, you know, he played basketball in college and not football, but he looks like the ultimate, you know, football guy. And, and it just kind of that personality, bigger, bigger personality than, um, than he is even, uh, physically. Uh, if you could find that guy for college football, uh, I just haven't seen many of those guys, although uh, a Dave Baker would be the, that kind of a guy. But um, uh, other than that, uh, how they all get together. I mean, the SEC has a really good thing going in terms of competition. They don't want to give that up. The Big Ten has by far the best uh, TV contract and, and broadcast deal. They don't want to give that up. And then you got the other three that are kind of circling around those two uh, heavyweights in the center of the ring. Uh, how you get 
all five to come together? Uh, again, <laughs> a good question. Not a good answer. Yep. Um, you mentioned the Pac-12 commissioner. We actually have a question about him from Bearsecutor who says, Dan, does Larry Scott's <laughs> self-serving arrogance simply speak for itself, or is there more to his story than most Pac-12 fans appreciate? Just who are his advocates among the Pac-12 presidents? Does anyone ever ask Mike Bone why Larry Scott should be retained? Bearsecutor. Yeah, that's a question that Mike Bone probably can't answer. Um, I think Mike Bone, I don't know that there's anybody looking at it from a USC point of view that could give you a reason why. I mean, it it happened the way so often it does at the top level of academic bureaucracy. Uh, The presidents probably didn't know what they were doing, that they went out and got a guy whose experience was women's tennis. and thought that might translate to college football and television contracts and, and negotiations and all that. Um, yeah, what a, all they were trying to do was hope and they didn't get lucky. Problem is with that level of academic bureaucracy, you don't get to be a college president or stay as a college president. If you admit to mistakes, I mean, one of the, Biggest the, the way to get to be a college president is to figure out how never to get blamed for anything. Okay, so now if you go out the Pac-12 presidents and hire a Larry Scott, they're not going to admit that they really screwed up. That's really a hard deal. So they have kind of moved off. I think the last number I saw was only three of the twelve who were involved in the hiring are still around. So I think they're, you know, in a place where they could kind of move off uh, off Larry Scott. The problem they've got now is the money is so great that they allowed him basically to get paid as the, head, you know, double salary ahead of the Pac-12 networks and the Pac-12. And, you know, just you know, that's the same, uh, you know, problem with, uh, with UF, USC fans have found out with Clay Helton and a guaranteed contract is – if you don't want them to stay, but you don't have the kind of money to buy them out, uh, so you're you're kind of stuck. So I think that's where they are. I don't think there's anybody who's going to make the decision in the Pac-12 who would tell you today that Larry Scott will be here tomorrow uh, when it's his time to go. He will. He won't get the next contract. You know, he did pretty well with the 12 years or 10, whatever, however many years he got on this one. But uh, he get, he is not getting another one. But between here and there, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. He hasn't done a terrible job uh, in the um, in the whole COVID nineteen thing. I mean, he's he's kind of acquitted himself decently. And for me to say that is saying a lot. Yeah, I was about to say that's that's a big compliment coming from you. We have an email from Frank in Sacramento who says, Dan, do you think the biggest conferences are canceling the 2020 season officially for coronavirus reasons, but more to nip the hashtag we are united players movement in the butt? Maybe the big conferences all hope that by 2021, everyone, players included, will be so starved for college football that the movement will all have blown over. Frank in Sacramento. I think that might be true in terms of it will work out that way, you know, that people will be happy that it blew over and happy college football is back, including the people that are <clears throat> trying to organize. Uh, I don't think uh, they're that strategic in terms of their thinking college football people. Uh, I, I, and I don't know that 
they take those guys that seriously as like an existential threat. I just think they don't believe there's any way they're going to let them organize into a union. That's just not happening. They're not going to let them become uh, employees. And therefore, um, you know, they, I don't think they take them that seriously enough for that to be the rationale. We got an email from Rich from Moncton who says, I've avoided all podcasts since November. For some reason, though, I turned on the Dan Weber podcast tonight. USC is unique in regards to not having names on jerseys, which makes us special. A player's gameplay defines him, not a reputation. How about allowing the SC players to wear warm-up apparel before the game, where they can make their statements, but in an organized method where the uniforms are the same, but the only comment on their backs, uh, which allow them to... to make their statement comes from their their warm-up gear. They could change this weekly if needed. The good news is that they would be they would be all wearing shirts. Then when the game starts, they would go back to their traditional uniforms with no names on the jerseys, and players are known for their play and not their name slash reputation. Acts, actions speak greater than words. Rich from Moncton. Yeah, Rich. Uh, I don't know how that's going to play out. Because... I could see teams using that as a recruiting tool and saying, well, you go there, they won't let you put your message on your jersey. Uh, I think you got to make that you know, really clear. If it were me and you want to say, okay, here's the message. Let's all agree to this. Fight on. Everybody else wants to have a message uh, and we want to break our tradition where we're the only school that doesn't do that. And for competitive reasons, uh, recruiting reasons, do you have to go along with them? I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you be the exclusive one that doesn't do that. But if they uh, felt like, boy, we got to do something, how about fight on? It applies to everybody and everything. You know, if you want to say from Black Lives Matter to the people, the Blue Lives Matter to All Lives Matter, fight on you can't say it any better than that that's the one place i totally agree with john baxter he always said fight on is the greatest motto of any uh college football program and i i think he's right so that'd be my goal uh go that direction if you have to but i'd rather just uh you know it's not the place i don't think for when you've got fans in the stands who have we have all different sorts of uh, thoughts. They probably aren't coming for a political rally. They probably want to see a football game. And I think I would, you know, and you can say, whoa, this is when we get our attention. But you're getting attention for the wrong reasons. It's a football game. People are there to watch football, and you want to take advantage of that. I don't like that. So that's me. So we have two more questions, and they're both on the same topic. If you remember last week, we talked about the Trojan alumni clubs and how USC kind of pulled the plug on them. Uh, first off, Dan, of class of 1962, I'm going to paraphrase for him, but he was saying that uh, it seems a little disingenuous for the Trojan quote-unquote family to not have a family discussion about why uh, they are doing what they're doing. He said that there needs to be transpa- transparency from them. And then he also gave a shout-out shout out to his good friend Chuck Griffin, who was the leader of the North Orange County Trojan Club. Uh, and he was instrumental in gathering support for the introduction of men's volleyball program. And and he also supported the baseball program. So he was just saying how um, it seems like they're, the Trojan Clubs are not getting their due in that sense. And then we had a reply from Dan, who was the one who started uh, the conversation last week. He says... 
Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, thank you for addressing my question on the last podcast. I have an update from Brent Watson in the athletic department. He said that they were responding to the request, a request from the General Alumni Association. They inquired of Bill Holland, who was on your podcast last week, about it. And Bill said since he was leaving his position in the AD, he thought the decision should be made by his successor. So we're still alive, but in limbo. Brent was very forthcoming, forthcoming, but he didn't cash our check, and he's still keeping us in the loop, and hopefully the conversation uh, will continue with the new guy. We had a mission and an independent funding source. In the grand scheme of things, it's probably not much, but with your help as guest speakers, we send about 20000 per year up to the athletic department, mostly to the quote-unquote minor sports, where every uh, dollar would make a bigger impact. Thanks for the kind words, and fight on, Dan. Yeah, Dan makes a really good point that when you're talking about the Trojan family, you probably ought to have a discussion among the family members, and that didn't seem to happen. It seemed like a top-down, very authoritative, this is how we're going to do it, boys, and you better go along and give you know give us your website control, and we're going to do whatever we want. And I, I, I was always thrilled to be out. And, and talking to the Trojan clubs uh, all over uh, Southern California. And uh, I'm going to miss that in some ways. And if you totally organize everything centrally, uh, you know, the guys out in the, you know, the boondocks and all the different places from San Diego to San Francisco, uh, it's not like their club anymore. And I think when you're talking about the grassroots and, and the neighborhood level and, all of that, I think, I think you really need those people to be involved and uh, to decide what they were going to do and not have those people involved. It's kind of a slap in the face. I think USC screwed up there big time. They probably got to mend some fences and figure out a way to not look like they're just going to run everything, uh, you know, from the uh, from campus and tell everybody what to do. That will not work. That's not going to work. Uh, that's the antithesis of the idea of having all these local clubs. You want the local clubs to spring up from the local guys and have them do the work and gals and, uh, and not have it come from uh, you know, the central authority. Uh, so uh, they, I think they need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what they did wrong and get it, get it done right. So Dan is absolutely correct. Yep, yep. Alrighty, Dan, that's all we have for questions this week, but it was an eventful week in the world of college oh, football. Man. A lot of questions, but not a lot of answers, right? Sarah, that's where we are. <laughs> Leave it there every week. Stay tuned. Yep. But we'll be back. Uh, we'll continue on with our podcast, our normal schedule. Nothing really changes for us. We continue to march on, or as Trojan fans like to say, we'll continue to fight on. Um, but Dan, any final thoughts before we wrap it up this no, week? No, that's uh, uh, fight on is a great way to leave it. Uh, and uh, and this no better year than to be saying fight on and to be actually fighting on because we're not exactly sure where the fight is or who we're fighting, but uh, keep fighting because, uh, you know, it is the best motto in sports. So keep on fighting on. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Dan. I'm Keely. We'll be back next week. Ryan will be back at the helm, so don't worry about that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.